No question about it. I am ready to get hurt again. And we're back. Welcome to episode number, actually it's episode number 13. Look at that. I still got number 12 up there of the Battered Nets Fans Podcast. I am your host, Daniel Granada, and I am here with a special guest. A lot of people know him as Hoopshead. I think just about everybody that's in Nets world knows you as Hoopshead. My man, Justin here. How you doing, sir? I'm doing well. How are you? I am great, man. I've been looking forward to talking to you for, we had this plan about a week already, right? And so. just before we jump into it, I wanted to thank you again because you were a big part in me finding grid tickets over there at Barclays because obviously I hadn't gone in 12 years. And I mean, I really didn't know the layout that well. And you really like you helped me out big time. You sent me pictures of angles and I can't thank you enough for helping me get those seats. I had a great time and we can get into that later when we talk about the OKC game. But I just want to say thank you again for helping me out um, because it, the, the seats ended up being great. I, I appreciate the the kind words there. And if anybody else wants uh, advice on seats at Barclay Center, um, you reach out to me on Twitter, um, hoophead81. And I think it's most people um, will automatically think the side is the best part to go at Barclay Center. And I think there's just a value-wise versus a view there. There's better options to do that. Well, no, definitely. When you explain to me that on the side they have the double-deck suites, so the, the, the sides are actually a little higher than the corners because they only have one suite under them. I was like, oh, that, that makes complete sense. So when you're in the corners, you're actually lower and closer to the court than you would be on the side. So thank you again. If anybody's listening, again, if you need any advice on seats, Coop said here got your back because he, he has all the angles, the pictures, and all that. <laughs> so if you are watching on YouTube and not listening on audio, you'll notice that if, well, if, if you just recognize the name Hoopshead, you'll recognize that Mr. Justin is known and seen on the Jumbotron at Barclays all the time because he wears that basketball on his head. Now, I need to start off by just asking the backstory to this because I have absolutely no idea why it is. I think it's awesome. Obviously, you stand out. It helps you stand out. But how is it that you started wearing this ball to your head? Oh, this ball on your head. Um, so just for those on YouTube, and on the, I won't keep this on for the entire time, but I'll give the background. So I am... Well, I've been a season ticket holder since 2012, but I've also been a block member. So for those that aren't familiar with that, that is a, uh, a section within Barclays Center where um, fans that audition um, to be a part of that section, we, uh, we are located currently set in the back of section one. Um, so at the end of 2019-2020 season, so that was the clean sweep year, we had got Kyrie and KD. But yep. Kyrie was only there that year, um, and that was also the bubble year. So I was expecting the following season for that the auditions to be crazy. KD was coming back, um, and the auditions take place during usually during the summer. Sometimes it's September. Um, so I needed. A, I came up with an idea, and as you just said, I stand out, and that was exactly the purpose of it. So if you see me just standing there uh, without the mask on, I am just a regular person. That's right. the chance with the team and whatnot. And it's not very memorable. If I go into an audition the following year, you may not remember that I was part of the block the previous year unless you had the roster in front of you. But once I wore the mask, and the mask actually started in the bubble playoffs. So there was a, we had viewing parties the blockhead viewing parties where right. um, the games would be televised. And if you remember, 
you had all those the screens with the people people's faces sitting on the side of the court yes i remember that yeah those are people watching by video and we would do that as part of the block for nest games and that's when the mask first came out i thought of it earlier and it was going to get broken out during the playoffs if COVID didn't happen and we had the playoffs in Barclays Center, that was going to be um, the first time it was broken out. Obviously, plans change on that one. So it came out in the bubble. And then the following year, games didn't go live. Um, and there were no Blocko editions. We just, if you were in the block, it, it rolled right over the following season. And come, I think it was March, could have been April when people were back in the, allowed back in the arena. Right. Um, so that's I I broke it out for real in the arena then, but but I mean we're at like twenty five percent capacity, so no one was really no, noticing, and the block was actually in the upper level then. So where it really got noticed is the first playoff game um, that year um, in twenty 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 one. That was the Celtic series, right? And. Malika Andrews, the media where we currently, we used to sit in section 114 and Malika Andrews of the media was right to our left. And she snapped a picture of me and posted it right on her story being like, fans are back in the arena and one's wearing a basketball on his head. So (laughs) got me right there. So, I mean, that, I think once that was noticed and then it it quickly um, just got noticed and it was just kind of me thinking of like, all right, What's a way that I can try to stand out? And I think it came back to the probably the October before looking through Halloween stuff. And this mask popped up. And I honestly can't find this mask again. So I Well, I was I gonna ask you, started. did you make that mask yourself? No, it's just so poorly made that it looks like I made it myself. <laughs> it's a latex mask that I probably paid like five or seven bucks off of eBay. Um, uh-huh. I think it was an ESPN mask. And it is ah. like, it is like very cheaply made, cheaply cut out. Only thing I did is I painted black and white here with like uh, paint pens from Michaels, and then I uh-huh. slap a sticker on it, which I hopefully eventually want to change this out and actually do a patch because it's a sticker and I have to replace it every so often. But, so it's so it's the same mask every game. Yes, it is. Oh, I can't okay. find another one. If I do another one, it will be like almost completely changed. And if I actually want to have it not look as cheap as it looks, I would have to actually have it custom made. And there are no more uh, auditions for the block. Well, there'll be an audition come this summer again. Okay. Like every year they'll do it now. So, that, so, this, so they're still there. doing auditions. Yeah. So we had it last last August, but they uh, they've grandfathered in the block people that were in previously. Oh, and who okay, knows that's if cool. that's going to be going forward? But I mean, those listening, I mean, pay attention to that. It's a it's definitely an opportunity um, to get in. Um, you go through in the audition. It's one, I and mean, it's one day of auditions. It's a one audition. Go through, do the chance. I mean, if you've been in the Barclays Center, you hear us do the defense chance, the let's go Nets chance. Everything that is in the arena is part of the audition, and then they'll do like some where you have to like make up your own chance because they. Well, good. I'm just saying, part of it's trying to be creative. Um, we try our best sometimes. It's very difficult to think of of chance on the spot for some players. So some some hit, some miss. Um, I mean, and some things are just very difficult to chant. I was, <laughs> I was trying to get a chant for defensive player of the year for a Claxton last game. The only thing I'd come up with is DPOY and then trying to chant that, but it doesn't have the ring of like MVP or anything. So no, right. Just, I mean, how to try to get, get him recognition for a defensive player of the year, who knows, but 
that was that was the intent <laughs> well i i mean obviously I, I don't know how how you guys are about um being prideful for who's in and who's not like how how um uh difficult it is to get into the block or how how difficult you want it to be because to me i would assume that you want the block to get as big as possible well you would think that so here's the thing as i said it's a one-day audition right um that person may show up for that one day audition and, and be the most energetic person you could see in the world. And then they get the, mm -hmm. they get in the block and they may not say a word. So that's, you. so I don't know if the size you would think the larger, um, we are the louder we would be, but that's not, not the case. Um, and I'll give you a couple examples. So the Brooklyn brigade, um, mm -hmm. is, is a fan run section by Bo uh, not section, but a family run group by Bobby. And if mm -hmm. anyone out in that world hasn't, isn't familiar with Bobby, I mean, just look up the Brooklyn brigade and, uh, I recommend signing up for it. it. There's nothing, there's no requirements. You just sign up that you're, the requirement is that you're a Nets fan. You're going to cheer for the Nets if you're at a game, but right. we've done road trips. We've gone to MSG, um, with 50 people and we basically took over MSG. I remember so, that. And that's the one KD shouted us out. He was like, right. oh, uh -huh. it's great to be back at Barclays or whatever. He called them yeah. Barclays to give yeah. a little dig at them. And that was us taking it over. Um, yeah. And there was about 50 of us. We have about 120 people on the block. So the constant, when we get concentrated, um, people that will really go all out and cheer, we're better than we are in the block because the, um, the block is the Nets, the audition through the Nets, and they make the selection. Like like I told you, I was at the Barclays for the first time this past weekend on Sunday, um, for the first time in twelve years. So right, so I had been from the very first game in in, in franchise history in Brooklyn at least uh, to now, which is twelve years later. And I had heard a lot of things throughout that time about how there's not a lot of energy in this in the arena and whatnot. And I remember thinking to myself, but I think the block gets pretty loud. So now that I was actually there, you guys are loud. But I felt like that's on one end of the arena, and unfortunately, it doesn't carry over to the other arena. And I was like, man, I wish more people would join in on these chants because I felt like you guys would start a chant and they would die out quickly. And, yeah. Um, so that that's and there were some chants that that the whole crowd would get on, but it wasn't consistent, and that was a little disappointing. And that's what I that's why I said that maybe a bigger um, block, but like you said. Like if you just let anybody in, there's no guarantee that they're gonna be as energetic as the rest of you guys. So, so I get what you're saying. It's, it's a double-edged sword, I suppose. And I agree with. I mean, that's why. Like we just try to get it started. So hopefully someone will join in. Like if you're in the section in Barclays, just got just start going. People will join in. They're just waiting for someone to. My to kids were it. the loudest kids in our section because my kids are all about. If, if you're giving them the permission to yell as loud as they can. Believe me, they will yell as loud as they can. So as soon as you guys got a, a chant going, they were going. But and, like and I Barclays said, will be loud. So I, like I said, I've been season ticket holder since 2012. So we are, we're a fourth quarter crowd. We really are, unless something spectacular happens. If it's fourth quarter and it's a close game, yeah, we get involved. And like if you, and those people that have been in Barclays Center during a playoff game, you know Milwaukee or whatever, when it's it, the place is going nuts. Like th there yeah. were points, and especially like. I still remember, well, obviously the Milwaukee series, but even before that, that Philly series, where oh, the Jared, the Jared Dudley series, yes, where you'd be yelling yeah. and you couldn't even hear yourself yell. 
So we do get a lot of flack for being the fourth quarter crowd or whatnot, but right. when we get going, we can get going. Well, I guess that's a perfect segue to to start talking a little basketball now. Absolutely. On the court. So on Sunday, like I said, I was at the game, and it was OKC. Now, the game before that was against Boston, and I think everybody felt um, – I don't want to say that they, they knew that we were going to lose – you, you always have a, an opportunity to win any every game. But you kind of knew that the odds were stacked against us. And we went in, and for the most part, we started off the first quarter strong. We fought for the first three quarters, but then Boston, they were just the superior team, and they took off in the fourth quarter, which is fine. Uh, Kyrie couldn't get it going. Joe Harris had a decent game, but it is what it is. But I think everybody thought, okay, OKC, we should be able to take this team. Right, they're under 500. We're playing at home. And we kind of know that we need this game because without KD, you got to get every game you can. And I think that the energy that I witnessed there was kind of a reflection of what we were watching on the court because it was it was an ugly game for the most part from beginning to end. Kyrie really couldn't get it going. Uh, ben Simmons, before the game, just randomly backspat them supposedly, and I wanted to get into that later. Yep. Um, but it, it was just it was just a disappointing game. And... We had a lead going into the fourth quarter. We just fell apart in the fourth. What did you think about the game on Sunday? So I wasn't as optimistic going into that game. Um, really? Okay. Yes, mainly because I feel the Thunder fall under the, the type of team that gives us trouble, a young athletic team. Mm-hmm. So once we face a young athletic team, I feel that is no matter how um, what that team's record is, they'll give yeah. us problems. Um I agree with you, I think, and everyone, like, even even the usher next to me, when they went through the starting lineup, she reached over and, like, tapped my shoulder, and she was like, did they say Ben's name? Like, I wasn't aware of the scratch, because um, I was already at the arena. I was right. looking around, I looked up, and I didn't know until they put the five across, pictures across the board that Ben wasn't playing. Um, now... Where I think the big issue came in, and we were trying to fill that in to Ben Simmons, because I think he would have been the one. So they put in Edmund Sumner as the one. I feel like I feel like he was the replacement, because we we're trying to keep Kai off the ball um, and maintain right. the ball handler. Because in reality, when KD plays, I mean, how often does he have the ball in his hands? Like he may not be technically the point guard, but he has the ball a lot, and Kai plays off of him. So Sumner, I think. Him being there to try to be the, the main ball handler was the intention until he got, what, like three fouls in three minutes? Um, and then everything went haywire because then that's when Kyrie went over to take the one. And mm-hmm. and how often has – I mean, he'll play obviously play the ball. I mean, he has this season, and he'll come down, and he loves that you know dribble down three and so forth. But he's really not on the ball all the time, and that's usually KD. And I feel like that kind of threw the offense for a loop. And I would really want to know um, when it was identified that Ben wasn't going to play. Like if it was really right before, then I'm giving a little more leeway on that because that's tough to like game plan immediately. And especially when your replacement goes in and gets three fouls so quickly. And I think he had three assists, like almost uh, – Actually, sorry, three assists. I think he had three assists within his first few minutes. Not, I think I said three fouls, but three assists. So he, he was doing well distributing the ball. 
uh, during that game on Sunday, when I thought that we were in trouble, it's when it was the fourth quarter. We were up by two, but Patty Mills and Daron Sharp were in the game. I don't think Patty Mills and Daron Sharp should ever see the court during the fourth quarter, much less at the same time. And I felt like once I saw both of those guys on the court at the same time, I was like, this might not be the best situation for us. I think that TJ Warren needs to be in games, late in games, especially if KD isn't playing because we need a second scoring option. I don't think Seth Curry should be our go-to offensive option when Kyrie's not going or when Kyrie's off the court, but that's what Seth Curry has turned into. He's he's the guy that we're leaning on to create for himself. And Cam Thomas, I'm not sure why Cam Thomas was nowhere to be seen. Well, that Cam Thomas was definitely a head scratcher for that OKC game. Um, I'm I'm in agreement with you with Patty, and Patty really showed his liability on the one play, and I think it was a key play where I think it was Giddy going to the hoop, and Patty challenged him for a block. Like Patty's not blocking Josh Giddy. Like what no, was the point not. of that? So he gave <laughs> right. Giddy the easiest and one possible, and that like that was just ho- like horrible. Um, Curry did his best. He, he. I don't consider him. Um, well, he a was shot the best offensive player. But, game, yeah, but right, I don't but consider we, him a shot creator. That's where I go in with TJ Warren. I'm with you on TJ Warren, and I would normally say TJ Warren should take the KD role and move in as our our scorer into the starting lineup, and then I would hand Cam the second unit. The thing with TJ is he's on a minutes restriction, mm-hmm. um, which is just that's brutal for Vaughn to to try to handle. And I think it, I mean, that really came out in the uh, in uh, the Spurs game. But the handle, and I and I would like to know what his minutes restriction is, because it looks it has to be around twenty four to twenty five. Well, minutes. before KD got injured, he was averaging I think it was nineteen minutes a game. I think over the last couple of games, it's just shot up to twenty four, twenty five, maybe. Yeah. Uh, for example, on third on Sunday, he played twenty two. And yesterday against the Spurs, he played, um, let's see, where's he at? 24. So it's about that 23, 24, maybe 25, one game mark. But that, that's more or less. So they're not going to push him too much. But I'm okay with. I'm okay with them not going from 19 minutes a game to 30 all of a sudden because they need him because KD's out. What I don't like is the distribution of his minutes. He doesn't have to be the starter. That's fine. Don't Don't start him. Let him you know, get his, his run in the second quarter. But just the way he's getting his run in the second quarter, make sure he gets his run in the fourth quarter. Because without KD there, if Kyrie's getting double teamed, we need somebody else you can count on to create shots for themselves and score. And again, Seth Curry isn't that guy. I want Seth Curry to be out there on the on the three-point line waiting for an outlet pass or something. I, I don't want him getting the ball and trying to figure out how to, you know, create a mid-range shot, which is what he's doing. And again, on Sunday, he was our best offensive option. So I'm not trying to kill him, but it's not necessarily what I want to see. I'd rather see T.J. Warren out there late in games. Well, he definitely has to be in there for the five minutes. Um, it's just difficult. to final win. five minutes. Yes, the final five minutes. He needs to be in the final five minutes. And that's why I knew right immediately the 24-minute mark um, because there was zero reason outside of being at a 24-minute restriction for them, him to come out against the Spurs. There was zero – I mean, that was um, – there were two moments in that game where I just thought it was one was like the initial shot where I was like, Oh wow. I don't think we have a shot anymore. And then the second one was like, all right, this game is over the first play. And sorry if we're, 
if the Spurs was the next game we're talking about, or if we can just mix them in here. Well, yeah, that's, that's fine. Going. Um, but the first play was the Claxton block. So obviously, that Claxton, dunk. He blocked that dunk. He blocked. Yes, he blocked Keldon Johnson's dunk, mm-hmm. and it ended up being a turnover on our offensive end, and then mm-hmm. and then Keldon Johnson getting the dunk on their end. All right, yep. it was a five point game. We should have at least got it down to a three point game, right? Or potentially a two point game with if it got into a transition three. There are multiple things. I'm of the the belief that when your big guy gets such a ridiculous play like that, if you watch him, he got the block and he sprinted down that floor. Now your big man runs, feed your big man. Right. Got it. Like, you got to uh... well get him the ball. But there was also, and I wasn't as paying much attention because that's my belief. But Curry was also wide open on the right, the right, uh, the right corner. So whether it goes to be a dunk by Clax or a three by Curry, it was much better than obviously we know the situation with the turnover, but the turnover led to a dunk. So that's momentum that was went from should have been at least a three point game down to a seven point game. So that was the first one. I was like, all right, that was the first shot where I was like, I'm not sure we can win this anymore. The second one was TJ getting subbed out with that, like the five minute mark. Cause I was just like, I don't know who can score right now. Now, if you're down and you don't have the shot creator, it's cam cam was basically the guy, but he kind of like slowed down towards the end, but TJ was it. And like, that's the thing. Our shot creators, um, Kai, if he's playing, obviously is a shot creator. And I consider a shot creator, a guy that can either get, he can pull off for his jumper, but he can also get to the hoop. TJ doesn't go all the way to the hoop, but he gets to who is like four foot, five foot mid range, like, you know, that six foot mid range where he's very good at. Um, and the other guy is Cam because Cam can get all the way to the hoop, double clutch and get a shot off, or he can go shake a guy for a shot. But I think um, that's my issue with Cam is that he likes to double clutch. He, he likes to make the, he, he likes taking those difficult shots. Yeah. He happens to be pretty good at it. That and his He floor. does. But, uh, that's the difficulty. Like when you're talking about Curry, Curry shakes a guy, but he's really shaking a guy for a long range shot. A mid range shot. Good. Yeah. yeah. It's good if you're hitting, but I mean, as we saw against the Spurs, when guys aren't hitting, like that shouldn't have been as close of a game as it was, but luckily only we shot horribly from three and the Spurs shot horribly from three as well. They're just a bad three point shooting team though, to begin with. So, and we are supposed to, we're supposed to be a good shooting team. Um, and to have everyone have so many guys just go in and just not be able to hit a shot is just, that's head scratching. I mean, to have, if you have like three to four good shooters and then not have one guy um, just come out and nail at least something for you, that, I mean, that's ridiculous. I, I don't know what what the game prep is or what or mentally guys are getting to that game or if they walked in um, to that Spurs game thinking it was going to be a win and then the impact of Kyrie, um, you know, he, I think, was rel- relatively early on in the day. I think he was a, a shoot around. Yeah, game. they announced that early, right? So guys It also helps that it was an 8 o'clock game. The Ben Simmons game was a 6 o'clock game, so. Yeah, I mean – Obviously, we can talk about Joe or Royce, and then like Utah is not shooting that great right now. But it's just well, well, I, I would like to, to 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 get on all of those. But real quick with the Cam Thomas, I like Cam Thomas. I think Cam Thomas on a team like we have right now, I guess technically without KD, 
or or a team with like the Orlando Magic before they started getting better this year with with their rookie. I forgot this Paulo Bonchero and yep. Albo and all them. I think on a team like that he would excel because he he can dominate the ball. On a team like this, we're predicated on ball movement this year more than ever. Ever since Steve Nash left, I feel like the ball moves. And Cam Thomas, I like him, but man, maybe it's because you know he's like, I'm finally playing. So I'm finally gonna get my buckets, and I gotta I gotta show what I can do, and I, I get that to an extent. But there was a play yesterday, which he scored on, by the way, where he pumped fake from the three point line, and then took it in, and he had Ben Simmons wide open for an alley oop, wide open, but he decided to take it up on two defenders, double clutch, and he made the layup. So at that point, what can I really say? Can't really say too much because he made the basket. But he had the easier play, but he chose to take it himself anyway. And that's my only issue with Cam Thomas. That, And, again, maybe it's a result of him not playing much, that he feels like he needs to show what he can do in the little bit of time that he gets because he may not play next game, and he knows that he may not play next game. But I feel like sometimes, like, come on, man. Let's keep the ball moving whenever possible, and let's choose the easy play instead of the difficult play. But, again, to an extent I understand it, but I wish he would do that more often. So I'm in agreement with you on Cam. Um I'm not a play cam at all costs. I know when he has a good game, um, basically Twitter goes nuts and says cam is the second coming of like the greatest offensive player of all time. Oh, and, and not, not to interrupt you, but just real quick, the two games that stand out to me that he did the best in that stand out automatically, the Indiana game that we played that, that we won this, this year where everybody was benched. And then that Knicks game last year on Valentine's day, where again, Katie and Kyrie did not play. Yep. So and the brigade was he, there. <laughs> right, exactly. That's the game where they, where you guys took over MSG. So when he is the guy, he can produce. It's just he he's not always the guy. And I agree. And I wouldn't play him with KD and Kyrie because that's not his. Like you said, it's not his situation. He needs to be the guy, and he's a volume shooter. Mm-hmm. So that's why I would, in the current situation, I would kind of give him the second unit and just be like, go go for it. Um, I wouldn't run him. He can play with like. KD a little bit. He's shown because and he has massive respect for KD, so he's going to yeah. do whatever he did. And he played well. Hit that game winner against the Spurs last season. It was the Spurs um, where KD fed him off a double team. Um, but I'm in full agreement with you. You, I, it's he's situational. Um, the one play where and he, I think he's fighting um, his habits, mainly your hat. Like he has the habit of what you just discussed. The first play though, when he was in. He had two guys on him, and he was double pumping. And I thought to myself, like, here we go. He's going to force the shot, which he normally does. But I mm-hmm. believe he kicked it out to Edmund Sumner in the corner, who missed the wide open three. So when I saw that, I was like, wow. Like, so I think he's, I think he's fighting. I think he, and it may go towards his confidence. I think coaches are in his ear to try to get him to be um, more like playmaker, pass the ball. So he might be conflicted because I felt like sometimes he was shying away. Uh, yesterday, like he wasn't full on cam um, last right. last night when when I felt like we needed full on cam last night because um, I feel like he is trying making a concerted effort. Um, but like I think he's trying to grow into a role that he's just not used to at the moment, and that's that's a difficult thing to do as an NBA player to then try to grow into a role at the highest level of the of the sport. There's uh there's definitely a, a section of Nets Twitter and Nets fandom that really loves Cam Thomas, and I get it because he's fun to watch when he's cooking, but he's not a three point shooter. Yesterday he went 0 for four. 
he just doesn't have that range. Like he can hit the mid range, he can hit take it to the basket, but he he can't shoot from the outside. And and that's something that we're really lacking right now. And and to add to the fact that we have Yuta, which was leading at the I don't even know if he's leading anymore, but at one point he was leading the league in percentage. We have Joe Harris, which has played horribly this year, and we have Seth Curry, which is inconsistent at best because he'll have a stretch of three great games and then two games he'll disappear. So I, I'm not sure how to how we're gonna work around this this inconsistent shooting because that's a, that's what we need. This team is built around outside shooting. That's why we have Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons should work. Well, that's not why we have Ben Simmons, but that's why we think Ben Simmons would work with this team because we supposedly had shooters all around them. But if Patty Mills, for example, isn't hitting his threes, he's completely useless out on the court because he's a start a turn stop on, on the court. And then you have Joe Harris. He had, what was it? Yes, it was a crazy stat line yesterday. It was like zero points, zero rebounds, zero steals, zero assists, zero. Re- like, I don't even think he had a foul. Like, it was just zeros all the way across. I'm like, how is that even possible? Like, I, I, I'm not sure what's going on with our shooting. Um, hopefully, it's just a rough patch. I do think that when you have better players around you, you get cleaner shots. But back to that Sunday game against OKC, when we were in the fourth quarter, Joe Harris missed two completely wide open shots one of them which i started yelling before he even took the shot i was like this is in we're gonna be down by two again we're back in this game i was like man this how how is he missing these shots and not that you expect him to make every shot but when you're joe harris this is what you're getting paid for so here's my little little comment on joe which over the few years and i am a joe harris fan so So as am i I'm i'm a joe harris defender actually yeah so but here's a few of the feelings and this is one of the things, I mean, it's one of those feelings like I, I commented and we were talking about yesterday, last night or whatever, about a two-for-one and our team doing two-for-ones and we're horrible mm-hmm. at it. But for me with Joe, that moment when I'm watching the game and it's that moment where it's going to be, um, we're going to either break the game open or it's going to be like the shot that we need. And I think to myself, like, Joe, you've got to hit this shot. And I feel like he misses those shots. Like I have to say three out of every four or even more. When I think to myself, I, 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 say, I say it out loud when I'm just sitting there, I'm like watching the game, either at home or at the arena, and I'm like, this is a shot we need. Got to hit this. And he clanks it almost all the time. And I, that just drives me nuts because I just feel like – and I, I, like I, it's just one of those ones that I don't have a stat for because obviously it's just me talking to myself on that. But I don't know if anybody – like if you – get that feeling sometimes that it's just one no, of those ones that we really need. This is a swing moment. Yeah, for sure. Now I don't have that stat. I don't know if that's a stat that you could even, even get <laughs> because that's more of a feeling, but Joe Harris, that's our guy. That's our three point shooting guy, right? Like that's, this is who you expect to get two to three pointers a game from, right? Sometimes four. If I were, I'm gonna put you on the spot here. If I were to ask you over the last 12 games, how many threes do you think he's made in those last 12 games? How many do you think? <laughs> it's more than 10. So it's more All than right. 10. So I'll help you out with that. I don't know. I'll say 13. 13. You're close. 14. He's hit 14 threes in the last 12 games. That's barely one a game. And from our our ex, our, our sharpshooter, he needs to be hitting two to three at least a game. He's taking 38 threes over that span. That's about three three-pointers a game. You have to be shooting more than three three-pointers a game to start making some. So his confidence is way down because he's. I think it's gotten to a point where he's scared to shoot. 
Like I, I was looking. Com- I think it's gonna be a combination of his confidence and and it could be the ankle. Like he's one of the few. Like he is a very leg driven shooter. Yes, he needs and some lift on ankle. Sure. He needs the he does a lot of lift and it's a minimal minimal upper body uh, movement with him. It's usually just kind of like the the set flick of the like the wrist sort of thing. So I, it's been a while. I, I'm I'm probably just it could be just me trying to defend him a little more. The, that the ankle might be coming into play. Um, hey, he, hey, look, no, no need to apologize for defending him. On this podcast, if you've been listening long enough, I have people come on here and I constantly ask them, if you have to trade one, Joe Harris or Seth Curry, who are you trading? They all say they trade Joe Harris. I'm constantly sticking with Joe Harris, even though over the last couple of weeks, it's getting a lot harder to defend them over Seth Curry because Seth Curry is scoring in other ways outside of the three-point line and Joe Harris just isn't. So that's funny that you said that. That's actually I would. That's why I would pick Joe Harris for the trade. <laughs> um, although I will defend him in that in that current in that absolute situation, the exact detail that you gave right there is the only reason why I would I would keep Seth. Just well, and, and look, and I understand why everybody says it, and I, and I always preface my my defense. I always preface it by saying I get that I'm biased. A little part of me loves that he's the last member of that culture Nets, the Kenny Atkinson Nets. And a little part of me wants to hold on to that. A little part of me wants that if we win a championship, right? Big if, because, you know, with this team, it's just, it feels like it's never going to happen. But if that were to happen, I would love to just a little piece of that culture's net to be able to celebrate that part. Like you got, we got a little bit that, and they made it all the way to the end. Because if Joe Harris goes, that's it. It's, 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 Katie and Kyrie are the are the longest tenured Nets, I believe, at that point. So yep, a little part I'm of me wants you. to hold on to that. So just a little uh, side story on this, uh, how Joe was last one. So 2016-17 season ticket holder party. If you remember 2016-17, there's obviously Joe was the only one remaining from that squad. That was yep. a twenty. That was a twenty and sixty-two uh, year. I have all their signatures on a basketball, and it only took Jeremy Lin and all. Lynn didn't show up to the season ticket holder party, so I should have oh. prefaced. He didn't show up, um, but everybody else um, was there. He, he had that injury, never um, was there. It took me about 30 minutes to get everybody's signature in the ball because at a season ticket holder party, there's probably about 100 people. <laughs> I just walked right around, and like nobody really had anybody around him. It was at Dave and & Buster's and got everybody's signature like within 30 minutes. You will never have that happen at the current season ticket holder party. You actually, They actually wouldn't even allow uh, um, autographs less. Last oh, time. wow. But got some names on there. Brooke was there. You know, Levert, Dinwiddie. Boyan was still on the squad, I believe, at that point in time. Yep, Boyan. I got Boyan. The funniest one was Justin Anderson. Not Justin Anderson. Um, wait, what's it? it he was a he was the three-point shooter that ended up having vision problems. I'm drawing a blank. Um, what is his name? Was. I, don't, I don't know who was having vision problems. But, oh, he, he, he actually, that was his last year in the league. Um, he was supposed to be our sharpshooter, big guy, stretch four, but uh, he had like nobody around him, and he was actually the toughest person to get an autograph for, from. <laughs> but uh, just a little side note on that one, of, um, and that's um, obviously Joe is. I think a lot of Nets fans have that that uh, that feeling for Joe because they just want yeah, him, want him to of win. Of course, he's our guy. I, I I would love to see at least one of those guys get to celebrate down Flatbush, you know, but um, if I get it, he, with the contract and the way he's playing right now, I understand why he's the most logical person to trade off. But also I'd like to tell, remind everybody, all of the 29 teams are also seeing how he's performing. Why do you think that people are going to be quick to want to trade for him 
with that contract that he has. And they're like, yeah, give me Joe Harris since he's a sharpshooter back three years ago. Like, people are expecting to get something that's, that's of value for Joe Harris right now. Joe Harris doesn't have any value in the trade market. So I'm not sure why everybody's throwing him in these trade machines when I think we're kind of stuck with him, guys. I think, if I, anything, Seth, Seth Curry's going to be the guy that everybody wants. Most likely. I actually don't, I can't really come up with multiple names that other teams would want from our, our squad. Right? Names come up. I think Cam Thomas come. would be somebody that's desirable. But you have to start matching contracts, right? Because the names of yeah, like, I mean, that's, the, that's Raptors, the problem. Like the Raptors guys come up. Like they, they're going to blow it up. Siakam, OG. Like, okay, who do they want from our squad? Well, well definitely if, nobody that we can get for those guys for sure. Yeah, Unless they trade so. Ben Simmons. But I, would you want him? He's got, what, two more years, I think, on his contract after this year. That's like 35 and $40 million, I think. Look, so. I like the way Ben Simmons fits on this team, but we can get into that in a second. Yep. Um, <laughs> real quick, before we move on from these two games, which were future um, – this Spurs game, the reason I was most frustrated with the Spurs game, outside of being ugly all the way through, uh, shooting poorly, um, it's just – we had a really poor first and third quarter. I thought that for the third quarter, Jock Vaughn would mix it up a little more. He, uh, the rotations, at least, he didn't. But I think I, a lot of people have been talking about a lot of different things that they were upset about over the last three games. The thing that frustrated me the most watching this last game was the fact that Keldon Johnson was absolutely cooking us in the fourth quarter, and they just kept letting Royce O'Neal become the primary defender for this guy. If Ben Simmons is getting paid this big money and everybody's frustrated because he's getting paid this big money and not producing offensively, well, the reason he got that money wasn't because of his offensive prowess. It was because of his defensive prowess. This is what he is. He's getting paid to stop these guys. So why in the fourth quarter, Kelvin Johnson comes and brings down the ball and continues to score every single possession and not once do they put Ben Simmons on him? That was driving me absolutely crazy. Absolutely crazy. I'm in agreement with you, and I was noticing that. And I think Simmons was actually guarding uh, Portal during that time. So, like, it didn't like <sighs> Keldon. Why? I mean, I don't know. And I and I honestly, I'm not sure. Like, we have the belief of that Simmons is supposed to be the stopper. Um, I don't know if he's there. Obviously, he should have been. I I, I potentially would have put Clax out on him. Obviously, you you have to shut down johnson in that point in time you can't let him keep going like he was even drilling that th- like he had so much confidence like one of his yeah, he threes was... didn't even look like it hit the net it went through <laughs> yeah. I mean, so he, he was ultimate confidence and in that situation i'm throwing clocks out on him i'll give i'll give ben his try but yes i'll say you gotta let ben get a try yeah i'll give him his try but most of the time i'm thinking like if i have at this point in time if i have to shut someone down clocks is getting the assignment um no um, I, I, I could see why you're saying that because, I mean, Clax is our, our best defender, I guess, technically. But I, there was only one play which I remember that somehow Ben Simmons got switched on to Keldon Johnson, and he stopped him. I don't remember if he, if he deflected the ball while it was in his hands, but I know that he didn't get the shot off. And, and I was, was like, okay. To him to his left, right? That was, yes. was it. Force him so, to his left. <laughs> because he kept going with his right hand. Richard Jefferson kept bringing it up yeah. on the broadcast. So – in my mind, I'm like, Ben Simmons just stopped that. Let's try that again. But Royce O'Neal is right back on him, next possession. And it was driving me crazy. This is where Ben Simmons isn't worth the money. Okay, that's fine. I get it. Fair. He's not worth the money. But 
He's supposed to be a great wing defender. Let's see if we can get some money's worth there. Let's see if he can stop Keldon Johnson. I mean, Keldon Johnson is absolutely abusing Royce O'Neal. Let's try Ben Simmons. He's getting paid the big bucks. Let's not just have him stand out there with uh, what was this guy's name that he was guarding? Uh, was he Sohan? I don't know who. What, ben, what, oh, what Ben Simmons. Simmons was guarding Portal for a lot there. So but. Portal, there you go. Portal's not. Come on, when Kendall Johnson's cooking, you got to put him on Kendall Johnson. So that, that that was frustrating to me, and I think that 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 did us in honestly because. Well, that was definitely it, and I agree. Ben has to. You have to give Ben the assignment, whether he's going to succeed or not. We already know that Royce can't guard quicker guys than him, mm-hmm. and that's no fault. No. I mean, that's not Royce's fault. That's just his physical limitation. Yet we right. always we always think we always put him on quicker guys than him and expect him to succeed and. It's just he's he hasn't succeeded in that all season, and he's not going to succeed because he doesn't have the physical ability to stay with quicker guards. And that's yeah, we we continue that trend that we've done it numerous times where he 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 gets that mark that matchup, and I can't even think of one time where he um won the matchup in the game when he's getting marking up against a quicker guard. Um, but yes, full agreement with Ben. Ben's there. Whether or not they didn't want to put that pressure on him, guarding the forward that's hot, I mean, he's going to get hit by Pirtle. Pirtle's, I mean, bigger. He's going to run into him and stuff. And, like, physical, I mean, are you want physical as athletically? But, but Royce could have guarded Pirtle. Oh, anybody could have. We didn't have – really no one was going to – if Pirtle was going to get the rebound, he's going to get the rebound. He's, right. he's too big for any of our guys. Right. So, I mean – and really, the only guy that had to be shut down last night was Johnson. So, yes, I don't know. I don't know why. And as we discussed, um, why Vaughn kept him on it. But Vaughn seems to he he will make some changes, but I feel like he can be stubborn. Um, I think you you might have brought up the rotations, and that was one of the things that I was unhappy about um, last night. Is the team the the group that got us down by fourteen? I believe started the second half for us. And we started out poorly again. Like mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm, I'm a believer, and you're. They're all pros. If the pros are, if you guys are performing, be the, like put them out there. And if a, if the group is off, the starters are off for a game. I mean, they're going to be starters next game. They have their opportunity. When a group is doing well, play them, um, because to me, like we got, we I think we. We're down 14, recovered from that with that group. And I can't remember the total five, right? I think it was TJ, Cam. I don't know if Morris was in that group. But all well, Morris did Morris played only like a few minutes, but I thought I thought Morris's energy and just his toughness, just with that with that physical charge. I mean a, a pick that he drew on on that Socho or whatever that guy's name oh, was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that that I liked what Morris brought out to, to the court. He actually played 13 minutes. I thought he played less. He played 13 minutes. I mean, he didn't necessarily shoot great. He was one for five, but he's a threat to shoot. So I think that he would be great to get a couple more minutes with the current situation that we're in. Um, And to your point, the first and third quarter, first quarter, the Nets last night, they scored 15 points. In the third quarter, they scored 17 points. Second quarter, 36. Fourth quarter, 30. So obviously, their starting lineups for the first and third quarter, those were the two runs that the Spurs went on that we weren't able to get back from. Well, we just couldn't get back to the game. One, we couldn't get back to the second. The second one. Was yeah, too you're much right. Hurt. You're right. Yes, you're right. <laughs> right, because I think we ended up having the lead for a little bit. But yes, that's. 
I mean, to put it, we put ourselves in situations and then we're too, too slow to, to make the adjustment, um, to that you couldn't, we knew within like probably the first two minutes of that second half that those guys weren't going to have it at that moment. So clear the bench and bring in that second unit that was playing well, like almost immediately. If you're not going to start in the second half and the, the group comes out similar to the first half, get, get them on the bench quickly. And TJ Warren, I mean, if, if they bring him in too early in the third quarter, though, like we were saying, we need him in the last five minutes of that fourth quarter. So it's a tricky game that we're going to play there because we want TJ Warren at the end of the game. At that point, maybe Cam Thomas a little earlier. I don't know. Well, if we have the lead in that time and then he ends up going to the bench, much better than him not having the lead and not having the lead and having him on the bench. But I wouldn't I'm, I don't envy Vaughn of trying to figure out that rotation. Um uh, with with uh, TJ, but that should have been known well beforehand of how they were going to handle that. They have to know. You, go ahead. No, I was gonna. I was gonna say uh, you brought up earlier that you, you thought that maybe they didn't want to put too much pressure on Ben Simmons guarding uh, uh, Keldon Johnson in yep. the fourth quarter. Do you think? Because obviously, uh, I'm relatively new to Nets Twitter. I've been around now for almost almost two years. Next, in the summertime will be two years. I didn't know that it really it was just popping the way it is. Um, and I've realized there's a lot of negative and positives to Nets Twitter. A lot of people are overly negative. Some people are overly optimistic. But I think that the Ben Simmons hate is a little overdone. Am I wrong on that assessment? Because I, I feel like people hate him for reasons that aren't even his fault. Even, they're not really even Sean Marks' fault. Like I can't understand why he gets all the hate that he does. Am I off base on that? So I am also relatively new to Twitter. I've only been really active the past year. Um, and I I think the more – I feel the more people that you come across, the more of the vocal people in that Twitter or, more, or the you know more popular people, I guess I'd say, are overly critical of him. Um, he's working through his issues. He has his moments. Um, obviously, seven turnovers stunk last night. But For sure. He obviously he addressed his right. We he came out, Ben. You need to shoot more. He came out and immediately was being aggressive, trying to shoot. He's yep. looking at the issue and he's trying to fix it. Um, I think the the glaring part of last night's game was when he missed that dunk. Um, I thought that showed his current physical um, ability right now because he might have got off a few inches off the ground there. Like his lift on that dunk was probably about as high as I could jump. Like he's six ten and barely got over the front of the rim and obviously missed the dunk, but he had no lift on that. So I, he's he's going through stuff, um, probably both physical and mental. Um, I've never had a serious back injury, um, but I am well aware of coming back from an injury and playing and trying to get it out of your head. Of and you're just cautious, like you're thinking. And he's he's think, he's probably thinking on the floor, and you can't think while you're out on the court. You just have to play. And he is he's thinking right now, so he's not as smooth as he needs to be, not as fluid. Um, and I, I'm I'm fine with continuing him. Do I get frustrated when he's on the floor? Sometimes, like I want him to shoot or I want him to do stuff. Yes, I get frustrated like everybody else, but I'm not ready to to like give up on him. And no, he, he had his first triple double at the net last night it was at 10 points 11 assists 10 rebounds and seven turns and and yeah, seven turns he almost had a quite almost had a quadruple double 
He took 10 field goals. Like you said, he was four for 10, uh, two blocks, four steals. And he was two for two from the free throw line. So that's a positive also. Now, out of the starting lineup, he was the only one with a positive plus minus. He was plus three. Everybody else was minus. Nick Claxton, minus 19. Seth Curry, minus 14. Joe Harris, minus 13. Royce O'Neal, minus 18. When Ben Simmons is on the court, he plays well with this team. Now, everybody seems to get annoyed. Like, oh, he gets paid so much money. How can he not score more than seven points a game? Well, because that's not what he got the contract for. And remember, everybody's like, oh, they're acting like Sean Marks and the Nets gave him this contract. What the Nets and Sean Marks did, they made the best out of a bad situation. James Harden forced their hand. Now, what could you do when James Harden says he's out the door? And after that Sacramento game, you basically knew he was going to throw the rest of the season the way he was playing in Sacramento. You had to do something about it. So what do you do? Well, the best available thing, there's this all-star in Philadelphia that doesn't want to play for Philadelphia anymore. Yeah, he doesn't score, but he kind of brings what we need to the table anyway. We, we, what did we like about James Harden? We liked he could rebound and he can distribute, right? Because we didn't know that. I wasn't happy when we first traded for James Harden. But when he got to the team, I was ecstatic at how well how well of a playmaker he was. He was dishing the ball, getting triple-doubles consistently, and I didn't care if he didn't score because we had KD and Kyrie for that. Bring in Ben Simmons, I felt like we were still getting the playmaking, the rebounding, plus we were now getting defense. And I feel like that's kind of what he's trying to do anyway. He's getting back to that little by little. I don't know why everybody's hating on him for not scoring. We knew that he wasn't going to score a lot. I wish like I would like him to be a little more aggressive, I guess, at times. But that's not his game, and I'm okay with that. Yeah, I, w- I would like him just to look at the rim a bit more. His he, his he spends too much time looking at the players and not at least posing a threat to his defender. Right? Yes. You learn early I, I on three-point threat. At least mm-hmm. make the your defender that's guarding you at least have to think instead of like staring down who you're passing the ball to. But I'm I'm fine with giving him more leeway. I have no issue with that. Like you said, with the James Harden forcing his way out, I was looking back at that 11 game losing streak and for re- times that Harden wasn't playing and like that was the hamstring, hamstring tightness, and then he had like a DNP for like something with his hand. Like I don't. I don't remember. So, it, like, he was coming up with everything not to play last mm-hmm. year during that, that stretch. And obviously the Sacramento game, that's the one that stands out with everybody. Um, yep, that was rough. But, yes, you had to come up with – you had to get something um, for for uh, Harden and especially with our current cap situation. You can't you can't let someone walk for nothing because we can't fill this – we can't fill um, that contract space. I'm okay with people being frustrated with Ben Simmons because it makes sense. I also get frustrated with Ben Simmons. I just hate when they bring up the contract because of it. The Nets didn't give him that contract. They, Like I said, they just made the best out of a bad situation. So the contract came with it, but you got a playmaker, a good defender, and we just have to hope that he gets somewhere near to where he used to be. But it just annoys me when everybody keeps bringing up his contract. That's all. Yeah, that's understandable. All right, so... I was going to ask this to start off the episode, but we're 50 minutes in and I haven't even brought it up. <laughs> is this deja vu? Like, do you feel like, you know, this is everybody's fear, right? After media day with Kevin Durant saying that one of the reasons he asked for the trade was that 11 game losing streak. He doesn't want to feel like he needs to be on the court for the team to win. And I think before the Celtics game, everybody looked at this and they said, you know what? 
I don't think this is going to happen again. I think this team is built differently. I think this team can maybe go 9-9 and if he misses 18 games up into the All-Star break. I think we feel pretty good about this roster. Now we're three games in, and everybody's pushing the panic button. So Are you feeling I, like it's deja vu? So not really, but I will preface this, that when I looked at the, the stretch, I only gave us four games. I thought we were okay. going to win the Spurs game. I thought we were going to win. We're going to split the Suns. We're going to beat the Pistons and beat Utah. Those were the four that I looked at. Now, now how many I, games did you think that they were, that he was going to be out? Because I guess that that goes into that matters when you say when you give it that runs the, up all the way to the All Star break. Oh, so you thought they were going to go four and fourteen? Yes. Oof. Okay. Oh, I man, ran I that, and I made the rookie mistake of I did not look at the back to backs. I only looked at the teams. So okay. I'm not even as confident anymore because we play we play Utah on the second night of a back-to-back, right? We play yes, Phoenix, and then we go and into Utah. Utah. And Utah is a very difficult team. You know that's that- the first back-to-back we have since that Indiana game yeah. where, we, where we rested everybody. We haven't had a back-to-back in over a month. And the last time Utah actually had a bad game, and I wanted to define a bad game as losing by 10 or more points, was back in December. It was December 19th. They lost Jesus. by double digits to Cleveland was the last time they actually had a bad game. They played on January 20th, it's a full month after. Okay. Yeah. So they're playing good ball. They have a high uh, – someone that can score. Obviously, marketing can score, but Jordan Clarkson can put up an absolute monster game against us. So they have people that can go against us, and we're on a second night of a back-to-back. And we don't know – do we know how we're going to handle the second night of a back-to-back yet? We don't know if Kyrie's going to sit the second night of a back-to-back with a calf. Or if Ben is no with Ben with the soreness in his back, is he going to play back to backs? TJ with his foot, is he sitting the second night of a back to back? We don't even know what our roster is going to look like that game. So I, I'm not as confident in that game. I will give us still the Detroit game because that's the second night of a back to back after Philly. Um, I will still, and that's Detroit at home. So that one, even though it's a back to back, I'm more confident in that one than I am in the Utah one. And to not tomorrow against Phoenix is mainly because I think CP3 is supposed to be out. If he was playing, I would no longer give us that game because he would just work into his elbow, free throw elbow length jumper on us and kind of get us, and DeAndre Ayton could really be a problem for us. So I am not confident, but it's not. I'm not the panic button. Um, I'm not because I think there's a few things. I feel like this one will be more of it might be frustrating for the team for losing, but guys are starting to expand their roles. So I, my goal, I want to see Clax expand his role during this time on our squad. Um, on the offensive end, I should preface that, because obviously he's a monster on defense. But I also think KD will be more involved. I feel like he might have been on his rehab and not totally involved with like the, the pulse of the team. He's probably talking to Kyrie and so forth last year. Remember, last year was still the, the home and away for Kyrie. So we had that going on. Obviously, Harden... And One we knew out the that, door. Yes, but we fans became aware of that. Anytime fans become aware of it, players had to know several, like, long before we did. So it's just a different environment. So even if we do struggle for wins, I'm not, I'm not uh, ready to, like, say, oh, we got to blow it up, or I'm not totally frustrated because I think it will expose our weaknesses. I think Vaughn is going to take the effort to try to shore those weaknesses up Obviously, one, I think one of our weaknesses is um, our 
our offense can get sloppy. And obviously last night there's no Kyrie or no KD. Like KD is the ultimate fixer of a sloppy offense. Offense breaks down, give the ball to KD. He can get his shot off whenever he wants. It doesn't matter how much time's on the shot clock. He can shoot. But and obviously Kyrie can do that. But that's just like that bad offense. But KD's the person that's shooting, so it becomes good offense. Um, so I think we'll expose some weaknesses, and with the healthier environment, I think it will actually help us grow and guys expanding the roles and understanding. Um, whereas last year, there was little hope. Um, no one knew the whole Kyrie situation at that point in time and hardened out the door. So I feel like the total, the the mind, um, like the, the atmosphere was just, that was just a toxic environment. So, and the losing just um, was basically just compounding the toxic environment. I, um, I, I agree with you. Now, I'm not pushing the panic button for the simple fact that outside of that Celtics game, we really haven't had a chance in these three games to see Ben Simmons and Kyrie together. Against the Celtics, it's not enough because they're the best team in the league, and that's fair. That's fine. Uh, I think that if we would have had both Ben Simmons and Kyrie both of these games, I think we have a good chance to win. Remember, when you're missing KD, you are missing on offense one of your two best scores. When you're missing KD on defense, you're missing one of your top three defenders. And then when you add to the fact that, well, okay, KD's missing and Kyrie's missing, okay, now you're missing your two number one options for scoring. When KD and Ben Simmons are missing, okay, you're missing two out of your three best defenders. Now Nick Claxton's out on an island trying to defend the rim. So I felt like in both these games, yes, I understand that we want to win without KD, but we need Ben Simmons and Kyrie playing. Like if Ben Simmons and Kyrie are both playing and we're still losing to teams like San Antonio, then, I, okay, that's the time to hit the panic button. But because they weren't both active for both these last two losses, again, the Celtics game is a whole thing on its own. We might have lost that even if KD plays. Who knows? But these two games, I feel not better, but I would have felt worse if both of them were playing and we still lost all three games. So that's why I'm not pushing that panic button just quite yet. But my question to you, do you really think that it was back spasms and a calf tightness? Because – it frustrates me that for the better part of December and January, for the most part, I think Ben Simmons missed maybe one, two games. Carrie played just about every game. And KD goes down, and now we're giving them rest days? Like, how does that make any sense? Why did we decide to finally give these guys rest days when we finally need these guys to play because KD is no longer there? Am I, am I alone on this? Like, am I the only one that thought that this was really a rest day for both of these? Because – for them to alternate games the way they just did, it seems almost like they took it like a back-to-back. Let's alternate these games off and see if we can win anyway. That is a possibility. I've seen someone else mention that. That would be, I think, very bad on the team if that's what we thought going into that San Antonio game of that we can just take a game off like that and Kyrie not playing as a rest day. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We don't have that luxury. That would fall back into That would fall back into our older mindset what was it like maybe two years ago or that like the whole no, we like, just didn't care about the regular season yes that we just get to the playoffs healthy and then we ended up getting uh like the seeding started coming into play or whatnot or obviously like the seeding obviously matters this year in the east and mm-hmm. we cannot take a game for like any games for for granted and i could just give a quick example for why the seeding matters the milwaukee series two seasons ago 
We obviously had home court and we lost, but just look at P.J. Tucker's foul discrepancy when we played in Barclays versus when we played out in Milwaukee. He'd get in foul trouble at Barclays. He could do whatever he wanted in Milwaukee. So get that home court advantage and because they're going to – teams will bully KD. They're going to hit KD, and we, all, oh. we already know our guys don't get the foul calls. So right. him, him and Kyrie are going to get hit. We need those calls. We need to be home to get those calls. Um, if if we're not respecting a team like San Antonio, um, that thinking that we were just going to step on and win, that's like I don't. I mean, I just don't like the message that gives that sense to the team. If that if that is the case, um, but the alternative is that well, there's two alternatives, right? A they actually did have these. Um, tightness like Ben had tightness in the back which obviously would be horrible if right. if it was the case or if it, he didn't have back tightness and told the team then that's also a red flag because that could have been him being anxious coming back for that game right? when everyone's like oh he needs to score he needs to score he needs to be more aggressive in the very next game he's like alright I'm not playing Like that's obviously being a very like I hope um, on the far end of things and obviously for Kai would be like if he had a little tightness he obviously he has contract situation of like why put myself in that situation now that's I think that's far-fetched I am more of the um the rest situation like I think a lot of people are but Mm -hmm. the only I guess why would Ben be that late of a scratch though if it was Uh, was try to be rest my my theory is that they saw OKC and the Spurs as the softest part of the schedule coming up, and they figured that they take advantage to rest these guys one game each so that they can go full throttle and maybe even play through that back-to-back with both of them. Now, is that going to happen? I don't know. Did it turn around and bite them in the ass? Yes, because they ended up losing both games. So I hope that that wasn't the thinking behind it because obviously it was a bad move. I wouldn't have done it. Now, if they would have done this, on the back-to-back, then 100%, I get it. We, we figured that they were going to do that even before the season started, that they would rest their, their stars on back-to-backs. This made no sense to me. The first game, you know, after the Celtics uh, Celtics loss with KD out, it just it made no sense to me why they would do this. For Ben Simmons to, to not play Sunday and then come right back on Tuesday, that confused me. Like, all of this really, really has me confused. But I, I'm really hoping that they both start playing together and that we can muster out some wins because I really do think that if they're both playing, our, our chances of winning skyrocket. I mean, and, and I'm not saying because we're guaranteed to win, but compared to one of them being out, it's hard to make up for one of those absences when you already have KD out. Yeah, full agreement with you on that one. All right. So now that we're going into this tough stretch, Gimme, who do you think is the number one person that needs to step up for us to – try to muster out more than these four wins that you gave us in the next 14 games. So I'm going to give a name here and I All just right. want to preface this. That is not a hot take. Cause it may, when I give you this name, you may be like, well, he's already playing great. I think Clax needs to step up and I'm going to okay. give my, I'm going to give my can, answer here because okay, I can see that. the other guys, I think they are who they are. Joe is who he is. Our guys, like we talked about, they're either going to hit or miss their shot. I don't know. Like I can say, Joe, man, you need to step up and that's him hitting more threes. Well, I mean, that's not something he's either going to hit or miss him. I think Clax right. needs to be the guy to step up because I want him to expand his offensive role on the team. I want him 
that swagger that he brings to the team, I wish someone else. I mean, we talked Morris has that swagger, but he's basically doesn't get in the in the game. I want no. someone else to have that attitude that he has, that Clax has, and I want him to carry over that attitude on the offense. So yesterday, when he got that block and ran the floor, he should have been yelling for that ball. I want him to demand the ball, like we the old ninety centers where you demand that ball and your guard doesn't give you the ball, you go up and you talk to him, you tell him, <laughs> give me the ball. Right, right? right. No one else is doing it. I want him to have that attitude for going for the dunks, but also when he has when he gets the other center or whatever who's guarding him out towards the foul line, drive by him. He's that he's Billy he's been really good about that this year, going to his left and bear and finishing off that layup that he has. I, I just I want him. He obviously can't shoot jumpers or whatnot, but I feel like his athleticism, he's got that little hook shot he's been doing very well with. I want him to to really step up, and I hope this next this stretch without KD allows him to grow into more of an offensive role because I just think he brings the energy when he gets that those hang on the rim dunks, which hopefully doesn't get technical during the playoffs because it's probably going to come. But when he gets those hang on the rim dunks, that's just like pure energy. Crowd goes nuts, team goes nuts. It's it's just he. I feel like he is the one that has like the limited offensive role on the team, but has the ability where he can expand out. Whereas the other guys, where if I just say they need to step up, it's them just they miss doing the what they do better. Yes, do do what you already have. Whereas I think Clax has the ability to do things that we just limit him in our current situation on offense. Okay. I, I like that response. Cause I mean, I don't think that Nick Claxton is um, like you said, he's not playing poorly, but for sure we don't look at him as an offensive contributor. So I could definitely see that. And Joe Harris is an easy answer because all you need him to do is just to start taking more threes and making more threes because otherwise like he's just doing what he does. Um, if I had to say somebody, I'd say TJ Warren, um, again, I, I think he needs to be even more aggressive. Like, just, just do take a little bit of that Cam Thomas personality and kind of just go at the rim and get buckets because when Kyrie's out, like, who also – Seth Curry does it. When, Seth, when Kyrie's out of the game and Seth Curry's in the game and there's no KD, Seth Curry's like, all right, well, it's my time to be Steph. And – he, he doesn't care. He'll go and he'll take those mid-range jumpers and try to cross people over. And I kind of wish TJ Warren would do that a little more often uh, because, like, last night, he was 7 for 13. He was he was playing well. I think if he plays those last five minutes, again, like you said, he got those 24 minutes and then they took him out. Must be a minute restriction. But I think he, he needs to be a little more aggressive. Not that he's not, but just do it more consistently. And I need Jock Vaughn to have him in there at the end of the games. I'm sorry. I need I need TJ Warren out there. If Kyrie's going there, like like we saw with OKC or even Boston, or even that Heat game last week, in the fourth quarter, they know who's getting the ball. So they're going to bring that second guy at him. So we need somebody else that's a threat. And that's where TJ Warren, I think, would come in nicely, especially if he has Seth Curry there also, which Seth Curry has the third option, I think would be great. Um, you know, that's about it. And I, I would like to get... Uh, a prediction. Uh, I guess you kind of gave it. You said that you gave us four wins. <laughs> now, I, it was 18 games, right, when when this injury happened to All-Star break. We're already 0-3 into that 18-game st- stretch. Mm-hmm. 
what do you think we're going to end up with those last 15 games? And just, just in case you don't have it in front of you, we have the Suns, the Jazz, the Warriors, and the Sixers all coming up on the road. And then at home, we have Detroit, the Knicks. Oh, we'll win. we have to beat the Knicks. And the Lakers. Then on the road against Boston, back home for Washington and the Clippers. And and the Suns and the Bulls and the Sixers. Then back on the road at MSG, which is like a home game. And then we finish against the Heat. So we have those are the next 15 games. What are you thinking? Be gentle to me. No, those are the ones. I think we I think we'll take the Phoenix game tomorrow. All right. With okay. the Utah game being a toss-up now that since it's a sack night back to back, but I'm leaning I'm I'm more of a toss-up on that one. Um, All right. So it's still one win, okay. So then I think who is after that? Do is we, do we go is I, Philly I, after that or we have a uh, then we, we got go Golden with, State after that. All right, Golden State I just have as a loss. All right. And then That's LA I Philly. think. LA. No, then we got LA Philly in there. All right. At Philly's a loss. That one's all right. right. And then we come home for Detroit. That's the one that I think we should be able to win, but it's also a second night of back to back. Um Jaden so Ivey looked pretty good against this last last game. Hopefully he doesn't look as good and hopefully <laughs> hopefully they shut Boyan by down down by then, getting him ready well, for the trade market. So, well, I'm I'm taking that as a second victory. So we got two wins, then we got the Knicks. So this is gonna pain me, but I think we lose both games to the Knicks. So, no, don't still me. tell me that. No. That pains me. that pains me. I know it pains me, but it just I they actually have a legitimate point guard right now. And Jalen Brunson. We'll put in Cam Thomas. He's the next killer. We'll be fine. <laughs> but, so then we got the Lakers in Brooklyn. I again, I have us losing that one. And then we LeBron got in getting, Boston. That's definitely a loss. Washington in Brooklyn. So that one's the tougher one. I was going back and forth on that one, but they'll have Bradley Beal back. It yep. depends on what now. I don't. There's a talk that they're going to be Rui Hachimura instead of trade Kuzma. Um, their owner doesn't believe in tanking, so I feel that their squad is going to be ba- basically full, and um, we're going to have trouble with Porzingis. So I, I think we're losing that one as well. All right, so I'm going to name out the, the next Clippers, Suns, Bulls, Sixers, Knicks, and Heat. Do you see us winning any of those games? No. So you have us going 2-13 and 13 in the next 15, and in that 18-game stretch between the day KD got injured and the all-star break we're basically going to go two and 16. i think we went four of them so i think we okay, split so some of those toss yeah okay. so i think we basically split phoenix we cake detroit um and then and we're going to beat the oh, next twice I, like I, lost, I lost actually i lost one one of my four was san antonio so i think three of them now <laughs> i'm oh, that's right. that i guess i'm okay. pessimistic right now i guess i i'm not I, look, I, don't, I don't blame you you're a battered nets fan just like i am i get it <laughs> All right, so before I let you go after we ended on that sour note because Katie's going to want to be traded before the trade deadline now, uh, I always ask two questions before my, my guests get off. Your favorite Nets player of all time and your favorite Nets moment of all time. Okay. So my favorite Nets player of all time, um, I'm going to go with Rondé Hollis-Jefferson. Um, really? Yeah. Just I, I I love the guy's attitude. I feel like he just injuries kind of plagued his time as a net. Um, I think it was his ankle that ended up getting hurt, um, and then he kind of lost his lift after that. 
Then he came back when his was absolutely money from the mid range, um, and then got hurt again. And then that's when it just all fell apart for him. He used but, to frustrate me a lot with his because he would take it to the rim. Oh, it's he, like he would all put his play. head and he would put his head down and just it was just a wild man in there. Yeah, I just uh, love I love his I I'm just a big fan of his attitude. Um, another story: I was season ticket holder party with a uh, Allie Love. I don't know if she was at the. I've, Sure, people out in Next World that has been to Barclays know Ali Love, or if you're in Peloton. Yeah, I was say if you're in Peloton, you know who Ali Love is. Yeah, so I was getting my picture taken with her at the season ticket holder event, and Ron Day just photobombed me. But I got the my friend just kept on snacking pictures, so you can see him like pop his head out, make a goofy face, and then yeah. like step up behind us like to like scare Ali and stuff. And it was just like my friend took all the pictures at once. But I a big fan um, of his attitude. I'm going to go for moment. Um, so I'll, I'm going to, I'm not going to do a playoff moment just cause I, I mean, I was at every playoff game when we made mm. this one. So, oh, so, you, so, so, so that's an easy answer. Five. I was game five and game seven. Um, so game mm-hmm. seven obviously was the punch in the gut. Right. Um, so I am going to go, I was also at MSG with Cam. That was nuts, but I, I'm going to go a little older and go with Sean Kilpatrick's game against the Clippers. That was a game. Jeter's uh, cousin? What's up? Derek Jeter's cousin, no? Oh, I, oh, is Kilpatrick his cousin? I, be- I, I believe know. he was Derek Jeter's cousin, yeah. That's, I, I wasn't aware of that. Um, that was the first one we were getting trounced by the Clippers, and I never, I never leave a game. But I was just like, I was like, is it even worth sitting here for the second half? And thank God I – just never leave games because that's when Kilpatrick went absolutely crazy at the end and just out of nowhere. And I just, that game, I will forever remember it. And I've been at moments of games. I guessed that Kobe's last game at Barkley center, I guessed it was going to be his last game. He didn't announce it until after, but I was with a friend captioned my picture of like, I think this is Kobe's last game because number 20, I just felt like he's one of those people that tries to have a perfect story with 20 years. D Wade's last game, I was there for that. Is, is that the one that he dunked on Brooke Lopez? Which one? Brooke Lopez? Kobe's Kobe? last game. I don't, he had a nasty dunk the last time. I think I wasn't remember if it was the, the very last time he was in Barclays. I don't remember. I mean, honestly, a lot of games blend together. <laughs> I've no, been to sure. over. I've been to over three hundred games. I think at this point oh, in time, man. so thirty plus games, ten seasons, and then obviously I'm not even counting this eleventh season. But I mean, that's probably one of the moments um, that will just, it just sticks in my head there. Just him hitting those shots at the end. Um, and that's a non playoff one. I think playoff, I'll, game five is obviously there. But that's my that, number one moment, man. I, I, that, that moment had me going insane. Yeah, the place was nuts. Um, but a non moment, I think, of that, an also playoff moment is that first, that Philly series. When we came back from start to finish, Barclays Center was absolutely like rocking that day. It was just everybody was ready to go. And it was the hope that was in there from all Nets fans when legitimately we really didn't have a shot in that series. Right, right, right. So that but first, I had to convince myself that we had. Yeah, but every, everyone was just ready. And like, we can get this. And like, you look mm-hmm. at that roster and they got Embiid and Simmons. <laughs> and we're trying out. But it's because, it's because we won game one. It's because yeah. we won game one. That got us gassed. So 
that was just an absolute that was just the the fire of the absolute the electricity in that building was crazy yeah. um and then obviously jared dudley who everybody remembers i funniest thing i was with another fan and a, a, not a nets fan but we we're talking about like how important i was telling him how important jared dudley is and he's like oh i can't believe and like nobody outside of nets world understood how important jared dudley was to that team they look at that and they're like how was he important to that squad and it's i think like everybody mills i guess uh well he actually yeah but he just came in he would hit the open like pass the open guy it was just he just got everybody going. He just ended up being important. Like, I think Patty's getting a lot of hate. I don't. Jared yes. never got that hate, but that entire team, obviously, that entire team, um, just ended up. But I, th- I think Patty Mills on that team wouldn't get the hate that he's getting now. Oh, he wouldn't. We're, yeah, we, we have, have championship aspirations, and it's just different. The situation is different. The expectations are different. That and, and the, the the scrutiny is different, and and it's unfortunate for the role players because. You know, when KD, Kyrie, and Ben Simmons are all there, and Nick Claxton now, I guess, is just one of the big guys also, you know, things are a lot easier for the role players. Just just play your role. But once you're asked to step up and you don't do it, as your fans are hoping you will, you know, the scrutiny is there, and it sucks for them because, you know, that's not what they sign up for. They, they, they know what they are, and, you know, we know what they are. You can't expect them to do more than they can. Um, all right, well. Justin, I want to thank you for joining me on episode number 13, man. I, it was a real pleasure having you on here. Uh, I love talking to you because you obviously know what you're talking about. So we probably could have gone on two or three hours if I would have kept going. But I don't think I can I can stay up this late. But again, I, I thank you again for your time, man. And thank you for having me on. I look forward to doing it again if possible. Oh, for sure, man. I'll definitely have you on again. And thank you. If you're still listening an hour and 18 minutes into this, I appreciate you sticking through. And we will be back next week on episode 14 of Battered Nets fans. Thank you for listening, and I'll catch you guys next week.